I've always felt that um, the Sunday after Thanksgiving ought to be the easiest Sunday of the year for us to praise God. After thinking of all the blessings we have, it's Thanksgiving that opens the door to praise. And so I thank you, the guys up here, how well you led us and the way you participated. Thank you, Matt, for leading us in communion and sort of getting the, the Advent season started. It's a great season. Hope we'll all enjoy it and use this as a great opportunity to invite people to hear about Jesus. But I do want to just say a word about Matt and his wife, Paisley. They're, they're a young married couple. And, and I'm so impressed with what he could do up here publicly. But I'm even more impressed by the way these guys serve. If you have children in the nursery, they are almost back in that nursery every Sunday. And, um, you know, these are busy folks. Matt graduated Faulkner's in law school, doing a great job. And also, I came in here Sunday night for the Thanksgiving feast, and what are they there? But, but just serving. So you, you love people at their age who just come into church and say, I want to be a part of it. So thank you very much. Uh, this morning, I want to talk a little bit about what I get to do every Sunday, which is preaching. And I think we'd all have to be honest that preaching does not have the greatest reputation. Often I go into a Sunday school class and someone may be teaching, I've probably even said it myself, and you sort of get carried away and you say, now I'm not meaning to preach at you guys. And I always want to say, time out, that's not a bad thing, you know. And if someone's telling you something or telling me something we really don't want to hear, often our response just to shut it down would be, don't preach to me. Say that with me. Don't preach to me. Don't say it right now. But don't preach to me. And yet when you look at Scripture, I I love this passage from Romans chapter 15 or or Romans chapter 10 where where Paul has an elevated view of preaching. He says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Paul had a great view of preaching. In fact, Paul would change the language we just used, and he'd say, you ought to come in this place and go, please preach to me. Say that with me today. Please preach to me. Thank you. I think I will. So this morning, what I'd like to do is something we've never done before, but I I hope this will be helpful to you. I want to review the things we've preached about in the year 2022. Uh, This is sort of like if you were in a a college class, the end of the year review. Um, this This is just a little pop test that we're going to give. You see, what we've done over the last year is we've had five major series. And what I want you to do right now is think about how many of those that you can remember, okay? And and you may not be perfect here because um, when I tried to do this two weeks ago, uh, I could only remember four out of five, which was pretty sad for the one who preached it. So as you're looking back, you might remember back in January, to give you a little bit of hint, we started with a series out of the book of Ephesians uh, chapter 6 about the armor of God. And then we went on to quite a few other series. And so let me tell you what the names are. And you remember how many, you got in your head how many you remember? Just give you a minute here. Okay, the first series was called Stand, which was about the armor of God. The second series, a real practical series, was called Habits, Small Changes, Big Results. Then after that, and this is the one I can't believe I didn't remember, was the one we kicked off on Easter last year on Heaven, which probably is my favorite of all. And then later on in the year, we studied the book of Nehemiah and went through that extremely uh, challenging text about leadership. And then this fall, we've done the Chameleon series about fighting the urge to fit in. Okay, 
So let's just sort of see how we've done on this little pop quiz. How many of you got, remember two or more, raise your hand. Okay, three or more, four or more, five or more. Anybody, anybody here raise their hand? Dylan? Oh my goodness, I got a prize for you, Dylan. You get a landmark 50th anniversary Christmas ornament for your dorm room, okay? You're, you're gonna really, anybody else got, got, got all five? All right, give Dylan a hand. So this morning, I wanna think about that just for a little bit because in the culture we live in, it's so easy to not remember. I mean, I mean, I'm challenged, if I can be honest with you, after I preach something on Sunday, I'm so busy getting on the next Sunday, I may forget what I did on Tuesday. And so I, I think it's, there's a, a strength to us slowing down. But here's what I want you to know. Preaching is preaching serious business. I mean, I'm under an incredible charge. And I take it seriously. I, I cherish your prayers. I mean, listen to what... What Paul said to Timothy over in 1 Timothy uh, chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 4, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. What's he saying? Preach the word, be prepared in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come, We may be living in these days today. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say, and what a descriptive phrase this is, what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn aside their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge the duties of your ministry. Preaching is serious business because it's the proclamation of the good news of God. It's a proclamation of truth. I love the old definition of what preaching should, or preachers should do. They should comfort the afflicted and they should afflict the comforted, Okay. And that's really what, what Paul said to Timothy here. Rebuke, encourage, challenge, afflict the comforted, comfort the afflicted. And so preaching is a challenge. Now, here's what I want to say to you today. That's a challenge to me, and I pray you'll pray for me about that because, guys, there's so much to preach about. The greatest challenge for preachers, what do you say? And I believe the best preachers are people who say the right thing at the right time. But there's also a challenge I give to you today, and that challenge is that listening is serious business. Your part of this equation is also something we need to take seriously. In fact, look with me at the book of James. Let's look in James chapter 1, where he talks about listening. Verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen in this crazy, slow to speak. And slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you that can save your soul. So what's he saying? Three things I'd like you to write down if you're taking notes. Number one, I must receive God's word. And what James says is, there's some things you need to tune out of your life. You've got to have yourself in a position where you can listen. 
He says, number one, don't be so quick to talk. There is a place to talk, but there's also a place simply to listen. And, And number two, he says, you know, you need to get rid of moral filth. The, the words there literally mean earwax. And guys, I, I think what happens to us in the culture we live in, when we're inundated by so much, with at a fingertip, I can look at anything and have more information than most people had their whole life 30 years ago. I can, I can easily allow Satan to bring some filth into my life that makes it very difficult to hear. In fact, one of the things that he warns us about is don't approach the word of God in anger. Don't approach defensive. Don't approach ready to get mad about it. But he says, instead, you should humbly accept it. So here's the deal, guys. What do you allow into your life? You know, in your home, you invite people into your home. That's a good thing. But what you like to do is you, you want to invite somebody in your home you trust. And when it comes to your mind, what, what's happened to us that's so dangerous is we have all of these different influence coming into our mind. But what James would say is you need to invite, you need to focus on what you can trust. I love this quotation from Gandhi that Nathan Cap shared with me after first service. He said, I will not let anyone walk through my mind with their dirty feet. That's a great image. And yet, guys, I'm afraid every day we let these images and things walk through our mind. And so when it comes for us receiving the word of God, it's so cluttered, I can't hear it. So first of all, I've got to receive it. And then in verse 22, he starts making another point. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. Our second point is I must reflect on God's word. James would say, guys, it's not enough to listen. He said, I need to look intently. That's a really interesting Greek word. It's the same word used when Peter gets to the tomb and stoops down to look in the tomb, the empty tomb of Jesus. And he's saying, we need to look intently into the word, not forgetting what we've heard. That's our challenge today. One of my favorite analogies in Scripture is this analogy of the Word of God being a mirror. Well, because a mirror, despite the fact what we probably all want to believe, is a true reflection of what you look like. Did you ever get in front of the mirror and say, I, I hope I don't really look this way. Well, let me just be the bearer of bad news I'm correcting today. You look that way, okay? That, that, that's what a mirror does. But when you look in the mirror of God's Word, not only are you seeing the very presence of God, not only is the Word a revelation of who God is. It's also a revelation of who you are. You know, like the character on Snoopy said, it's the book of reevaluation, okay? It's the book that allows you to look at who you are. Now, here's what he's saying is, some of us make a mistake of never even looking in the mirror. We just go about life not really seeing the way we are. I experienced this this week. Stephanie was out of town one morning, and I got to sleep in, and I'm just sort of drinking coffee and doing some reading, and uh, my grandkids from Huntsville called to FaceTime. 
And so I just, you know, start FaceTiming. Well, the first thing they say is, Grandbuddy, what is wrong with your hair? Because it was all sticking out and I didn't, I had never even gone by the mirror. And guys, when you don't go by the mirror of God's word, you're not really accurately seeing how you are. Another problem, though, he says, that's even more dangerous is that I might look, but I don't really change. It's like waking up in the morning and you see the matted eyes and you see your hair looking bad and you're not shaving or the makeup smeared, whatever it may be, and you go, well, well, I saw that. But what he says is they immediately forgot. It's like you're getting in your car and going to school, getting in your car and going to work, and everybody's like, what happened to you this morning? Well, that's what it's like for us to look at the Word of God and not change, you ever seen yourself and thought, I've got to change something? Um, two Sundays ago, uh, you probably remember the video announcement with me and Miss Carlita talking about the Thanksgiving feast. I looked up there and I thought, that mustache looks terrible. <laughs> Man, you look old. And, and so it caused me to go shave that rascal. How many of you are thankful? I've been getting, no, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah. I've gotten too much good feedback. The teenagers did vote for me to keep it, though. I'll give them credit. All right. So what God's saying here to us is the Word of God is like this mirror that you look into and you notice the things that have got to change. But please listen to this very clearly. If all you're doing is coming in here and plopping your tail down once a week in a service, you're being deceived. On top of that, if all you're doing is coming to this service and actually listening but not changing, James would say, that's deception. What's our deception? Our deception is that Christianity is made up of coming to church. Now, don't get me wrong. I think coming to church is really important. I think this is an important place for us to be exposed to the Word of God. But if all we do is plop down, listen, check our box out, and walk out of here, James would say, somehow you've deceived yourself that that's what God wants. God wants more than that. He wants you to be transformed. And so we receive the Word of God. We open the door for that. We reflect on the Word of God. It's one thing I really love about our life group ministry is that you and I are forced to, to have heard a message and then to go into a home and go, what did this mean to you? How did it make you feel? What do you believe you didn't believe before? How do you act this out? And then listen to the final part of James. Sometimes we disconnect this in chapter one, but it's exactly flowing from what he said. Verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. What's he say? Knowing I receive the word, reflect on the word, but I must respond to the word. And James, who's such a practical book, says, you know, when you allow the word of God to be implanted in your heart, man, it's going to come out. It's going to come out, your language is going to be better. It can come out, you're going to look after people that are on the fringes of culture, and your mind is going to be pure. You see, I love the old story of the man who walks into church service late. He goes back in the foyer, an usher greets him, and the man asks the usher. He says, is the sermon done yet? And the usher wisely said, the sermon has been preached, but it's yet to be done. 
You see, what we do in here is just a part of it. So we receive, we reflect, and we respond. Guys, when I look at that outline, here's where I think we um, are weak, at least where I'm weak. I don't think we spend enough time in reflection. Uh, We live in what I would want to call this morning a scroll society where we're constantly scrolling through images and things. You get on TikTok or you get on Instagram. It's made for you to scroll. Most of us, you know, have TVs with hundreds of channels that I can surf. Some of you drove your family crazy yesterday watching five football games at one time and going back and forth. And you think, just stick on something. And yet that's the way we're trained in our culture. And when it comes to applying the word of God, my friends, I think it's a weakness because I'm so used to just scrolling over more and more information and not stopping and thinking deeply about it. I remember years ago, we hired this guy to come evaluate our church. He was a quote unquote church growth expert. And he looked at everything we did, gave a long report of things we needed to change and things we needed to improve. And frankly, I don't remember a whole lot of what he said. But what I do remember is he told me this. He said, if you want to improve, buddy, you want your people to improve, you must build in times of reflection. In other words, after you preach, you need to go back, and I hate to do this, and watch it. After you've led a life group or a Bible class, you need to stop and think, okay, how did it go? And I remember taking that man to a life group with me. And we had had a, you know, I thought it was a decent life group. And we got in the car. The man's name was Carl George. He said, buddy, did you see what happened back there? I said, yeah, I thought we had a good group. We had a good discussion. Everybody seemed to talk a little bit. He said, no, no, no. Did you really notice? You remember Richard Stewart? Richard was in my life group then. He said, did you hear what he did? He took the scripture we were talking about. And by the end of the night, Richard was telling us how he was going to behave differently at work the next day. He said, you didn't recognize that, but that's big. And guys, for all of us, this part of reflection, the Bible would call it meditation, to think deeply about the truth. And that's why I think it's, it's even dangerous when we go over these five series that we, we just flip through that and not sort of land and stick to something that really needs to change because all preaching needs to lead to application. I love this quotation from a theologian, Jay Kessler, Preaching a sermon that's strong on information but weak on application is like shouting to a drowning man, swim, swim. The message is true, but it's not helpful. So one thing we want to do today is just slow down here at the end of this year and think about application. So here, let me review these five message series. And here's what I want you to do, because I don't want this to be another just scroll flip through. As I go through these, I'd like you to think, what, do, what truth do I need to land on, to stick on, that really convicted me or encouraged me or challenged me, that specifically I need to carry with me into this new year? Well, let me be a little bit more in depth about these series. The first series was that series we called Stand. It was about the armor of God. And we had all those incredible pieces of armor that Paul outlines, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of feet, a gospel of peace, the heart, you know, the, that's protected, the sword of the spirit. 
Here's what I believe. I think that in that passage, we've received the power that we need to be victorious. You know, I love the, the exercise we did in that series of waking up in the morning and how you put those pieces on. Maybe you need to go back and reflect on that more. And then the next series, Habits, was about small changes and big results. It was very practical. You know, you, you know there were some things in there that have really stuck out in my mind. One was just this practical advice of knees before feet, that when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you do before you even get on your feet is slip to your knees and pray. It's a game changer setting the tone for your day. I really appreciate one of our teenagers over here, Connor, who's reminded me of that consistently. How you do on your knees before feet. There's a college student who does the same because I sort of forgot about it for a while, but gotten back to it now, and it makes a difference. Another practical challenge we gave on habits is Bible before phone. One of the worst things going on for us today mentally is many of us go to sleep and the last thing we do is look at our phone and when we wake up, it's the first thing I look at. I'm telling you, keep your phone down and look at your Bible. We also talked about some practical things about the power of family meals. We look at those statistics that if you really want your family to be different, you make sure you eat meals together. And that, there's a lot of practical things there. And then the third one was heaven. Paradise restored. We looked at this teaching that heaven will be a new heaven and new earth here on this earth. And you, you might buy that, you might not buy it, but what it did for me is it made heaven more concrete. If, if heaven is restoring the original perfect paradise on this earth, then I've got, I've got a pretty good idea of how awesome it could be. It's a whole lot more than floating on some clouds with a harp or just this endless worship service. That's great. But it's also enjoying the earth to its fullest, the way it was originally meant. And maybe today in your life where you need to stop and focus and dig deeper is on this topic of heaven. And I love Nehemiah. Verse by verse through that. And Nehemiah teaches us how to make a difference. Nehemiah teaches a lot about the power of prayer and also what to some of us almost seems opposite, the power of planning. And Nehemiah reminds us that that on one hand, we need to be holding the brick and rebuilding the wall. On the other hand, we need to be holding a sword because we're in a spiritual battle. Maybe you need to go back to that. Or then that last series we did that I found so challenging this fall was chameleon. How do you fight the urge to fit in? It's a call to be different. And if you remember what we did in that series, we basically looked at different Bible characters. We saw, first of all, Solomon, whose life was completely messed up because he wanted to fit in with his foreign wives. And then we looked at some incredible Bible characters like Joseph, who even didn't fit into the sexual temptation of his culture. Great lesson for us. We looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were willing to stand up when their life was on the line. We looked at Nicodemus and the way he slowly came out of the shadows. And and maybe your challenge is to not be in a chameleon. I especially like the last lesson we looked at about David as a little boy fighting Goliath. And the comparison between God's army sitting on the side of the hill, wearing the right name, crying the battle cry, and doing nothing. And the little boy David who comes down in the valley and fights Goliath. And we talked about the challenge to not even just fit in at church. 
that if you're not careful, the people around you might be lukewarm or they might be negative or they might just be checking in and checking out. And you might could pick up on that and become that way. And what Landmark needs as a church is we need people to step out and to be different even in this church. So let's stop just for a moment. As you look over those five, let's just sort of stop the Rolodex for a moment. What do you need to focus on? As as we start closing out this year in the Advent season, what do you need to make sure, what truth do you need to carry into the new year? Another way of putting this might be this morning, what needs to stick? I mean, I preach them, guys. I can forget them. I look at all the truth we've been over the last year, it's pretty amazing, honestly. And what needs to stick in my life now, I would remind you practically that all of those messages are on our website, that you can listen to it, landmark.church, or you can watch it. Just dig or, or just open your Bible and go back to those truths. You say, well, buddy, sometimes you're just telling me stuff I already know. Well, I understand that. Um, every sermon, every class doesn't tell you something new. In fact, listen to what Peter said about that. In 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them, and are standing firm in the truth you've been taught, and it's only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as you live. Please understand this, guys. Lots of biblical teaching in your quiet time, in your Bible class, in our time here is to remind us of what is true. Because in our busy life, with all these other messages inundating us every moment, so many of them that are actually evil and not of God, messages that teach us to be lustful, messages that teach us to be greedy, messages that teach us to not forgive, but to fight back and hit back harder. All those messages flow through our life and we need to be planted. I love what he said in James chapter one. He says, receive the word of God planted, implanted, that is able to save your soul. That's how powerful the word is. Now, I don't think he's just talking about heaven and hell salvation there. Part of it. I think he's also talking about just rescue. The word of God implanted in your heart will rescue you from your lack of forgiveness. Will rescue you from your selfishness. Will rescue you from your addiction to sin. It will rescue you. It will save you. And guys, that's what's so important. What we do every Sunday. So I ask you this morning, what's God reminding you of? What do you need to carry with you? You see, today has been what I call the review, okay? Many of you guys are coming to the end of your semester. You're about to have a review, and then then you have the exam. And and honestly, guys, today's just the review. The final exam happens when you walk out of here. Because he said, if we're just listeners and not doers, we've deceived ourselves. But if you look deeply into the Word of God, 
Here's the cool thing. Not only you can see God, and not only you can see yourself, but that reflection in the mirror is going to change slowly but surely. Catch this. It's too good to believe almost. That reflection in the mirror is going to change slowly but surely into the image of Jesus. So this morning, if you need to respond to the word, one thing I love about this church is we look at the word of God and we elevate it in a high place. But we also elevate prayer. And we know this is a place not just to hear it and not just to reflect on it, but it's also a place to respond to it. And so today in your life, there's some truth that you need to stick. If there's something that you need us to pray about in your life, then please feel free to come as we praise our God together. Let's all stand together and sing.